Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast where you get to follow along with the client in real therapy sessions, hosted by two licensed psychotherapists and longtime friends. That's us. In a few minutes, you'll hear an actual session with Doug and Andrew, a real client with a fictional name. We call him Drew, Big Drew, 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 Little Drew, Drew Hill. <laughs> and you will hear our full therapy session, not just the sound bites. In every episode, after you hear the therapy session, I'll come back on with Doug and we'll break it down so you <laughs> get a better understanding of what we do and how we think as therapists. And when we started this podcast, our episode one was also Drew's first real therapy session. So you can go back to the very beginning and hear how we all progressed together. In today's episode, we talk about how seeing traumatic events at an early age can continue to be impactful throughout your life. In the session, Drew has a hard time being present in the here and now. In the breakdown, we explore concepts of motivation, confidence, and self-worth as they came up for Drew in this session. We'll be back in a while. Stick around. Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. A podcast. Hi, Dougie. Welcome. Hello, Meredith. Hello. How goes? It's going well, considering the times, you know. Right. I always have to give that caveat. <laughs> I've used that with people. I'll say, uh, yeah, it's Corona good. Yeah, exactly. Instead of laughing, they just all kind of go, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Kind of where we're at. Sure is. Yeah. And it's it's still hot. It's been hot. I think it's going to stay hot for like even another week. It's been like a couple weeks of this heat. Really? Like it's going to keep going. Which, you know, is fine. I mean, it's always either too hot or too cold or the three days that it rains tortures me, but whatever. <laughs> what are you, Goldilocks? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I have brown hair now. I had blonde hair for a very long time. That's true. How's your week been besides hot? It's It's been, well, we're getting out to the trails earlier and earlier to beat mm. the heat. Yeah. <laughs> this was not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing because it's uncomfortable. Ah, good one. We were deep in a trail and somebody was coming the other way and they said something. I didn't quite hear them the first time. I thought they said, oh, there's a hill down there. Watch your dog. It's like, there's a, yeah, we're going downhill. Of course, there's a hill. What do you mean? Um, and I just kind of went, what, what was that? And he said, there's a kill down there, a fawn. So watch your dog. And I, oh, okay. I guess that means, you know, a, a fawn's a baby deer, right? Right. So, okay. And I, I kept my eye out, you know, so Beckett doesn't go over there, but had no idea if it was like, fresh or decomposing or, or what. And part of me wanted to see it. And the other part really didn't. Like in Stand By Me. Right. You guys want to see a dead body? Right. So we went down the hill and the hill was fine. And then they're indeed off the, just off the trail slightly. So it was still pretty close to the trail was a, a fawn that had been killed. I didn't investigate it. Just kind of walked by Beckett started to move towards it to sniff and I just redirected him and he just moved right away from it, which was great. But it was really disturbing. Like I just really did not like seeing that. And it's, you know, I guess it's just the natural circle of life. Was it a, okay. So it was like a animal had killed it. It must've been, I mean, it definitely wasn't hunted. There was no hunting. Well, it was, might've been hunted by predators. Right. Right. Okay. I don't think it died of natural causes. It made me think of the most famous deer killing in our history. Bambi? Absolutely. Yeah. Which starts with the mom getting killed right away. Yeah, true, true. You know, it's interesting. When I was in Africa, one of the things that you, we, I think a lot of people look forward to the most is seeing a kill. That's like, you know, you drive around your safari totally. and it's super exciting and you want to see the kill. And, and I 
totally wanted to. Whereas normally that kind of thing would bother me, but it, you are so in the environment right. that it is so natural and it is a circle cycle of life. And, you know, it's expected, I think when you just come upon something like that, where it's, you're not expecting it or it's out of, you know, your normal daily light or whatever. I think it, it is probably different. Yeah. And I think those things are really impactful to us, uh, yeah. especially, you know, when we're younger. I remember two different and very impactful things like that. One was when I was in the music business, internet wasn't really big there at all yet. I remember before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, we had a TV in like the main bullpen area of the office. And it was back when uh, news stations were just starting to cover high-speed chases. So uh -huh. there was one and like everybody was gathering around like, Ooh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you always watch the high speed chase to see the crash. Right? Yeah. That's what you want to see. Yeah. And this was uh, a guy in a white pickup truck and he had pulled over. I was like white Bronco. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That was a low speed chase. He, he was on like the, the little interchange downtown LA where like a bunch of freeways converge and he was in a white pickup truck. He rolled out like a sheet and he had written on it and it said something like HMOs took my wife. I remember um, that. So he was clearly distraught about that and that situation. Yep. And we're all watching. There's a helicopter overhead and he walks out to the center divider and shot himself. Yeah. I totally remember that. And they didn't mean, they didn't know, but they showed it because they didn't know it was going to happen, right? Exactly, exactly. And yeah. after that, they I implemented something. I don't know how many seconds there are now, but there is now Some a delay. delay. Yep. Totally remember that. I just remember all of us kind of gathering around, you know, and just staring at this thing. And then we see that and there's, there's just silence in the room and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. The other one, I was a teenager. I was the one driving and there were maybe three or four of my friends in the car. And we were in the valley on the freeway and there was, uh, you know, a fire and smoke way up ahead. So clearly there had been like some sort of car accident and fire and people are, are starting to like move over to the right to go around it. And being sort of the punk ass teenager I was and with all my friends kind of going, oh, what happened? What happened? We got way over to the left lane and tried to get as close to it as we could. And we got right up and there were cops hadn't been there yet. Like it happened pretty fresh. And people were just flagging us to move around it. And we see a pickup truck on its side, totally inflamed. And there was a, a body that was leaning out of the car that was just completely charred. Oh. And everybody in the car went from that excited, like, oh, get closer. Oh, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Yeah. And that, that to dead silence. Yeah. Literally. Oh, God, that's tragic. It's so tragic and so uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with that. I yeah. started laughing and then everybody in the car started laughing. And then we talked about how uncomfortable it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, those are the things you're right. That stick with you forever. Even if you don't know the people or anything, but just crazy. Yeah. Crazy. The impact. Like I know people that every now and then will, will bring up a movie like Bambi or something that they saw yeah. at a young age. Yeah. Having such a tremendous impact. And you wonder why. Well, I think for the most part, we don't process that stuff. We just see it and try to make sense of it ourselves somehow. Yeah. Before we move on, I will uh, segue into a lighter animal note. I am house and dog sitting for my sister yeah. and brother-in-law for the next couple of weeks. And I have two adorable doggos here, a golden doodle and a Bernie doodle. And please... Try to refrain from judgment, everybody. No, I know they're not rescues and I know they're genetically whatever, but we are all highly allergic to dogs. And so this way mm -hmm. we're not, and we love them very much. And they are so cute and such a handful that I have the <laughs> utmost respect for people with kids and dogs. And it's just a fuck. I'm like, okay, I'll get up and feed you guys. And then I'll walk you and then I'll walk you again and then feed you again and then make sure you're entertained and all of it. It's a whole thing. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, obviously. Just wait till I bring Beckett over to play with them. Yeah, it'll be very exciting, but also so just, I just want to just like smush their faces all day and just like cuddle and they're just the best things ever also. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I mean, clearly I love dogs. I'm a one dog guy. 
having two dogs is pretty much twice the work. But they also have each other then. Totally. But then, you know, when you go out walking the dogs, you now have a leash in both hands instead of one leash. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's crazy. You can have like one eye on the dog and another eye on your surroundings. Now you have to have one eye on each dog. I mean, it's it's Yeah, I've learned to walk them once at a time. Once at a time. (laughs) One at a time. Interesting. Yeah. I have to. It's too much. But they're also not great walkers. I'm not going to lie. I love you both, but they're not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they pull and there's rabbits around here and lots of oh, other dogs chase. and, oh, yep. but I love them anyway. So on that note, happy puppy stories, <laughs> rainbows and puppy dogs and Drew. Andrew. Andrew. That's right. Ah. <laughs> so, we so we're gonna, we're gonna listen to what's going on with him. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, check it out. We will be back with you at the end of the session. I think for me in the last couple of weeks, I've really been future tripping. Yeah. And past tripping. Yeah. I haven't got back to my right now, which is something we've talked about the last six months of like where I want to be and and to be able to be in the moment and stop and smell the roses and listen to the birds sing and all that. Yeah. And so I think all of this kind of also happened to bring me back to that. Yeah. I think that's something we've talked about a few times, that idea of being present and being in a moment and being here. It can sometimes be really difficult because here might be where negative feelings are or where like feelings we just don't like and don't want to feel are. Yeah. So it's hard to be there and we tend to run from it. And then we'll go future tripping, right? Yeah. You know, we'll either go to the future, go to the past, you know, one of those directions. Right. The more that we're able to truly be present and go, wait, I don't feel okay, but I know I am okay. And when we ground in that, the more you ground in that, which I think you've been doing, mm-hmm. the easier it is to be present. And you said something I loved. If I'm able to be present in the moment, essentially, then days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And next thing you know, I'm five years later. Right. And I've been doing it the way I really want to be doing it, which is being present, mm-hmm. which all starts from just being here now. Yeah. Right? And which is something I think I've really like forgotten. Maybe not forgotten, just kind of put to the back. This weekend, me and old girlfriend talked for the first time in like a month, month and a half. I mean, I didn't come in here like, oh my God, you know? Oh my like, God, we just talked to her and she said this. I'm so triggered. And what the fuck? Right. Exactly. I mean, it's a long story. And I don't really care enough to talk about that today. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, if we could go back in time <laughs> yeah. and hear you say that, you might be like, oh, I wish I could get there. Yeah. And, and I am there. I guess I just kind of realized this weekend that everything we've been talking about is like reality now. And I do really well when I see like progression, you know, when I can kind of like knock stuff down and be like, yeah, did that kick cool onto the next. Sure. Um, which is something I haven't really been doing the last month. You know, it's just been kind of like day to day. Look on my face. Yeah. What, what did I say? Well, and I, don't, I don't mean emotional progression. I don't mean. Uh, <laughs> oh, you, you picked know? that up. Yeah. Huh? Cause like I've, done, I've been progressed like more so than I think I ever right. have in my life in the last couple of right. weeks. But I mean, like tangible. Good, good distinction. I'm just yeah. checking that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what you saw on my face. Yeah. Absolutely, I didn't hide that, right? Yeah. No, because you're right. I, I think right. we'll take it for granted that it's there. But I don't think you take that for granted. I think right. you recognize that. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is you doing something like tangibly progressing, like yeah. not just like an anxious to do list, but like right. there are things I actually want to do, mm-hmm. and having that sense of accomplishment, feeling good about doing something is important. Sometimes we're human beings and we need to just be. Right. Sometimes human doing is important. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's where I'm at too. I think I've been human being for the last little bit, which has been good. It's just, I haven't done anything as far as like my career, my work wise. Mm. And so I realized that I need to start like doing stuff again, mm. not like going out and partying or anything like that, but I just need to start working again. Yeah. Which is kind of like my mindset right now. It's just like my mind tells me that, but I'm still in like that non-motivated like mindset. Tell me about that non-motivated mindset. I think I scratched on it last week in the sense of like, when I have that other person in my life, it allows me to be motivated because I'm not worried about it. I, I want to make my other person proud type of thing, mm. right? So like I find motivation I, and I found it in parents. I found it in mm-hmm. everybody else in my life. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's not old girlfriend specifically I found that in. 
it's every person that's in that role in my life I found that in. And so right. I look to them for like reassurance and I, and I try and um, I try and do certain things to have them tell me they're proud versus me telling me I'm proud. Do you tell you you're proud? I haven't. And I know I need to, you know, that, that's part of my... Do you? I think I do, yeah. Why? Just like a little self-confidence boost, like a pat on the back. I think I need it, like blanket term, I need it. I think I was looking for it in the wrong places, though. If I look for my reassurance in other people, like, they're going to fail, too. And so, like, that's what I'm understanding more and more. Talking about the self-confidence, mm-hmm. it's self-confidence, right. right? Right. And to say it's built on other people being proud of me, mm-hmm. that's not actual self-confidence. That's yeah. confidence. Or that's some might even call what you were describing codependent. Yeah. I yeah. need the other person in order to motivate do that. And there's a piece of it when being proud comes from others mm-hmm. or the motivation comes from others that can be a little codependent is not entirely independent yeah. and it doesn't have to be black or white, mm-hmm. but it brings us back or me back <laughs> in thinking of you. And maybe we'll see if you come back here with me to when you talk to your dad about wanting to go out on your own, yeah. it was, no, I want him to be a partner because I want him to be proud and I want, mm-hmm. okay. Maybe it was also a bit of, I want someone else to motivate me. Somebody whose judgment affects me so much that I will definitely fire up. And it's crazy that I'm realizing this at 24, I think. And, you know, honestly, this is kind of like new. Like I I even thought about this until like right now. But I think my whole life I've looked for that in everything. You know, you like anywhere from sports to grades to girls to cash flow to everything. Right. Has all stemmed from somebody else telling me it's good or okay or yeah or that's the right decision. i'm good yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good because of whatever yep i don't have ever really been happy for myself for something that's a wild thought that i've never really thought about before yeah like ever that's an incredible realization for like a first time realization yeah. for you to go well 24 and i'm just thinking about this now yeah there's some people that don't think about that <laughs> until they're 44 yeah right yeah so that you didn't think about it when you were 14 right so you're thinking about it now and coming back to the time traveling thing. We're, yeah. we're right now. Right. So you're thinking about it right now. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make it like, yeah. there, done. <laughs> right? It's yeah. great a second. Yeah. A driving force for me has been what others think and labeling myself, my, my worth. Mm-hmm. So it becomes my self-worth dependent on them. Right. So let's go with how do you know or feel like you did good you know and i'm air quoting good because mm-hmm. it's not that judgment of that but mm-hmm. that that i was of service of purpose or something meaningful something fulfilling or just something that i can check off to look like something yeah maybe words of affirmation more so than anything like the five uh love languages yeah okay so like minor gift giving yeah and, and uh words of affirmation my gift giving one is why i get, try and give so much is because of that. It's like, I've always wanted that back. The classic, like getting a trophy for getting first place. My trophy is my mom telling me she's proud of me or like whoever else in my life is telling me that, yeah, you did a great job. I'm proud of you. Yeah. That's where I find my uh, solidarity uh, of coming together for myself. And Oh, oh, you think I'm good? Okay, I think I'm good too. Oh, right. you don't think I'm good? Okay, now I need to figure out what went wrong. Hmm. That piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't think I'm good? You don't get a trophy for that. Mm -hmm. What does that one look like? That's where I find a lot of my guilt. And I want to say self-reflection, but I almost want to call it self-pity too. Hmm. What do you mean by self-pity? If X person in my life says that they're not proud of me for whatever, like whatever reason in any aspect, I always turn to, okay, what did I do wrong? Not the, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago of having that room for disappointment and being okay with it. Yes. You know, I've always looked, okay, I need to fix this. How can I fix this? I need to do it right now. Right. Not a, oh, that's okay. That's great insight. Yeah, so, and it felt good to say, too. I felt really good to say. Just now? Yeah. Because like, I've, I've, like, I've literally never, never said that before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this yeah. is incredible, man. Yeah. I mean, clearly, the most not trophy you ever got mm-hmm. was finding mom in bed, not moving. Yeah. And that's what you're seeing now mm-hmm. and how you're thinking about it now. I wonder what you would say to little Drew, 
I almost want to step in and throw a different example in that. Please, sure. Um, I don't think I've told you about this one yet, but this was see, two years ago. My first year down here, um, I went back for Thanksgiving. Like, it was a good weekend. We were good. Everything was fine. This was, like, the first year my mom was really out of rehab. I had left. I came home for the first time. Mm. Good weekend. Had a great time. And then when I was about to leave, my mom got pretty fucked up. And we all thought she was good. Just got out of rehab. We're back on track. And uh, we're sitting at the top of, like, my staircase. Because I had to leave. I was like, I'm about to catch a flight. Like, I got to go, like, right now. Right. And she was like, I probably won't be here when you get home next time. Like, this is it. And, like, me and my dad were sitting there with her. And, like, it was the first time where we weren't, we almost didn't take, like, the remorse side or, like, the sad, like, I'm so sorry this is happening to you side. Where, like, why are you, like, we were actually, like, firm about it and, and really said, like, no, you're fucked up. Like, you need to go get help. And, and throughout all of that, it was, like, a 30-minute conversation of her basically looking at me, like, right in the face and saying, I'm going to kill myself. And, like, I won't be here next time you're back. Wow. Was she sober in that moment? No, 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 okay. not at all. So when she's not sober like that, do you take her seriously? I mean, part I of you can't to, ignore that. I consider it kind of in that aspect of like, I know like she's still here, so she didn't really mean it. Right. For her just to look at me in the face and tell me, because I even said it, I was like, am I not worth it to you to like, hmm. to like still be here? Am I not enough? Like your child, is that not enough for you? Well, to- even, even that, that sentiment right there. Yeah. Am I not enough? Is that why you're doing this? Because I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Is that the question? Mm-hmm. What kind of question? No, and that's right. why this was the perfect example for this. Totally. Love it. Love yeah. it. That was the first time in my entire life with her where I didn't get completely distraught over, oh, this is my fault. When I walked out of the door that day, I was mm. like, damn, this wow. is like, it's so yeah. sad that she's going through this. Yeah. And I wish there was something I could do, but there's not. And I got to go back to LA. One of the situations where I just had to go. And so I walked out, asked me that question five years prior to that. And I would have canceled my flight and stayed as long as I needed to. I would always look for my mom to tell me that she was okay because I was okay. And now it's flipping into the, I almost put myself in my mom's shoes now to where she was looking for my reassurance in her. And and, yeah. that, and I'm realizing that, and I yeah. saw how much that hurt me. Totally. And so now I'm trying not to fall into that same wave pool. That's a wonderful way to have compassion for what she was going through and understanding mm-hmm. and a motivation to not be like that. As you tell me that story, and as we sit here now, because that was, what, two years ago, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you look back on that from this place now, as we're talking about this stuff, mm-hmm. tell me about the strength that you see in yourself then. Um, if you see it, you might not. No, I definitely did. I was in a fully rational mindset. I wasn't triggered. I wasn't emotional. Like even now, like little things trigger me and I get so emotional. I get so so much uh, anxiety and yeah. all of that to where yeah. in, that, in that point right then and there, I was completely rational and grounded. And I knew that. I think a lot of that had to do with my dad being there. And so I think having him like by me saying the same thing to her and kind of being a team in that mm-hmm. really gave me the comfort in that specific yeah. thing that I was okay to kind of say what I had to say. Say what I had to say. Why did you have to say that? I think I had to say it for myself, you know, saying, um, you know, I love you so much. I'm always here for you, but I can't. There's something I can do in this situation for you. Like I'm here to help you. And whatever that means, but I can't do this for you. So right. just being able to voice that and say that was completely different than anything else I've done. Because I think I'm still trying to be vulnerable in that, you know, in the sense of like, I'm still here for you. I still love you. I want the best for you. Yeah. But also understanding between the two of us that I can't, can't do it for you. And, I, and now that I'm hearing myself say that, I think the same thing with like old girlfriend. It's like, I can't change you. There's nothing I can do about it. Like, I'm here for you. Like, if you need anything, I got you. But like, other than that, like, you got to figure it out. Well, right. And the flip of that one, too. You got to figure you out. It can't come from old girlfriend. And you even said it, like, maybe I need to take some time just to figure my shit out. Yeah. Well, I look at that as going, hmm. And this is, this is a leap, too. So no, you, yeah. You, give you, me it. No, you can trash this one if you no, want to. No, come on. It's, uh, you know, I don't hold back. Of course I'm coming on. It's that I need to not be with you right now because I truly want to strengthen myself. And when I'm with you, I draw my strength from you and how you see me. And I want you to be pleased and proud 
And that's not coming from myself. That's coming from you. Mm-hmm. And it's a vicious cycle because it keeps feeding that. So I think it's me and I think it's great. And as long as I'm a good boy and being a good boyfriend and doing good, then all right, everything's great. Mm-hmm. I need to strengthen myself. And, and I think the same thing for my brother. Across the board, everything we're saying right now goes to, like I think, a lot of my relationships, if not all of them. That young version of you with brother, in like kind of that moment that you remember distinctly. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's a version of that that we can look at too, where you know, what you'd say in that situation, because mm-hmm. there might be two levels one with what your relationship is with brother and how that goes and what that means. Mm-hmm. And then the relationship with mom that's similar to the one we're talking about two years ago, where you saw, like, Hey, I, I can't do this. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. But I wonder yeah. if for you and brother, there's that because he gave you the if you go out there, I'll never talk to you again. Yeah, and and I think I mean I was what like 12, 13 when that happened. So I, I don't I think if I had this now then right. I would at least be able to say why I was doing it mm-hmm. and give him more of an insight into like where I was at right. going into that. Cause I just fuck off and going out. And we never had a conversation about it. We didn't dialect at all because like it wasn't it just didn't happen do i wish we could have talked about it after that yeah but we were still kids i wonder if i know the first part of this for sure because we've worked on it the Mm -hmm. second part is what i'm wondering Mm -hmm. the first part being having compassion for little drew being in that situation and how that went Mm -hmm. and i think you have had that Mm -hmm. and for you in that moment at that time i do need to go check on her i I do need to do that no one else is And I think there was still some fear and some panic and all that. And we can mm-hmm. walk through that more yeah. too. But yeah. the idea of brother, I wonder if what he might have been trying to say. Thought about this. I feel like I have a lot of emotion, so I'm really good at showing it because there's just so much of it. And he's kind of the opposite and closes down and gets protective and angry and, and gets into rage and that kind of thing. I think he was really just trying to protect me of not, of not seeing what I was about to go see. In a sense, the voice he was trying to have at that time is the voice you had two years ago Mm -hmm. that said, I'm getting on this plane. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. You know, your thing's your thing. I mean, if you need me, I'm here. And I think your brother was trying to be that same voice then. And he was 13, 14 years old. He couldn't put all this together. You guys were not (laughs) capable of having that discussion at all. But I think if we look at maybe that was the sentiment he was trying to express. Didn't know how. Yeah. And for him, he has a very (laughs) strict, structured way of doing things, Mm -hmm. very black or white in his thinking, right? Military is great for that. Mm -hmm. And he probably fits in very nicely there and does pretty well there. And it's it's fantastic for him. That's great. We don't have to shake him out of that. Mm -hmm. As you look at reconnecting with him, I remember something you said about seeing him at the bachelor party and that idea that we worked on of... We don't need to go back and rehash everything and be cool now mm-hmm. in order for me to be at the bachelor party. Yeah. We don't have to walk through all of it. And I was saying to you, if you remember at the time, something about there's a part of this where we don't even need him. Yeah. And it's you becoming okay with something mm-hmm. so that you don't have to rehash and go through all that. Because he was 13, 14 years old. He didn't, he didn't know what the fuck he was thinking then either. I never thought about that either. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's always been my older brother. Yeah, and so I've always seen him as older. <laughs> Never put him in that. Oh, well, he was he was fourteen too. It's the Harry Potter snapshot. <laughs> yeah, you've seen him moving this whole time. He's always big brother to you. Right. But if you looked at a snapshot, a Polaroid of him at fourteen years old, mm-hmm. he doesn't have any tools. He's like, my brother's going to go out there. No, I've got to protect him. Yeah, I've got to stop him. The only way I know how is to say. I'm not going to talk to you ever again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he could have said, I'm going to beat you up or I'm going to, you know, flush your blanket <laughs> down the toilet. That idea of, right, you've always seen him as big brother. Mm-hmm. And as he is to you now is how he was to you then. But that's not accurate because how he was to you then was a 14-year-old to a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Much different. Way yeah. different. Because like he, he, yeah, he didn't have any of the tools. He didn't know what he was doing today. But I, I like the thought of not having to hash everything out, especially because so he's getting married in like a month. You asked me this question of like, how do I feel about his wedding like two months ago? And I think I said like, old girlfriend, be there, we'll be all right. And that was my mindset. And now it's like, I have such a cool opportunity just to go be there and be with him now, uh-huh. not 
oh, we're going to go figure everything out. It's just a cool opportunity now to go see him and, get, and him get married. You know, this is a big life event. And so, like, I'm more so excited to see him. To see him, the Harry Potter version, to see him, the snapshot now. Yeah, the snapshot. Him. Yeah, you know, and yeah. see where he's at right now. And, yeah. Because it's so my brother. I still love him. I think what I hear is you come close to something. You might already be there. Mm-hmm. So I'll lob it up and see if you can hit it. I want to show up to the wedding now yeah. as me yeah. now. Yeah. I will take him as he is now. Yeah. I also want to be there this way as I am. And that's it. Yeah. And I am good enough. There's no other place that I can be other than where I am, how I am. And that's something that's evolving and that you're working. Yeah, definitely. I think that's exactly it. You know, I, I just want to go see him now because like, his life is, he's grown, grown up. And I hope, like, I hope that we have some sort of a conversation. I don't, I don't mean like, a, oh, what's the last six years of your life been? You know, but right. I want to show up with full vulnerability too, the way we talk about, not only for myself, I think it's very important for myself. Mm-hmm. I want to be vulnerable there for myself and him. But I think there's a piece of me that wants that to show my parents that I've been working on my shit and I've been trying and, and I want to have a relationship with him and I want to show them that so that they're proud of me for that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's the right logic behind it. Yeah. And I like that you're screening for that because there yeah. is some some ego that wants that. Yeah. That's okay. That's yeah. human. It's the old like... If you do a good deed and nobody's watching, is it still a good deed? Yeah. You get credit for it. If you need credit for it, is it a good deed? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. We're creatures that like to hear, good boy, good job. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. We like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, it feels good. It reinforces something for us. Yeah. I think it can be the greatest version of that comes from ourselves going, wow, I was truly authentic there. That felt great. Mm-hmm. doesn't hurt to have other people recognizing or seeing that because it's it's hard to just manufacture it yourselves yeah yeah for parents wanting them to see that you've been working on yourself on your relationships Mm -hmm. is natural i wonder about how how our self-worth is then determined with that piece yeah yeah Yeah. that's my question too because i think uh i don't even want to play the what if game here i i think either way i want to get to the point where I still want to show it to them, but I don't need to show it to them. I love this because that idea, yeah, it's not a what if, it's just an is yeah. when we get to present time, yeah, yeah, yeah. how it's a will be. And that idea of I want to show it to them, I want them to see it comes from mm-hmm. I want to be it. Yeah. And if they are around you being as you are, mm-hmm. they have an opportunity to see that. They might not. Right. If we know we were being how we wanted to be, that's the true reward. Yes, I'd love for them to see it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They might not. And I don't think that takes away. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, for example, shit example, (laughs) your mom's fucked up at the wedding. She's not going to be looking at you and going, wow, what growth (laughs) you've made. That's incredible. I really love the adult you've become. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And that that is a worry for me right now, too. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I also also feel confident in being okay if she is. How? Because I know it's not, it has nothing to do with me. Like, it has nothing to do with me. took me years to realize that, and I think I'm getting better at it now. Hmm. It'd be disappointing. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you hit that. Because if you're just like, has got nothing to do with me, no problem. I don't care. Yeah. Of course you care. Yeah. But your self-worth doesn't come from that. Right. Oh, she's fucked up. I did something wrong. I'm bad. Yeah. No, fuck that. Yeah. Fuck you, Vader. I don't need that <laughs> voice in my head right now. Mm-hmm. It's That's still really disappointing. Mm-hmm. And it might be a little embarrassing. Right. You know, shameful. Right. Okay? That's her, mm-hmm. not you. Mm-hmm. The more we create that separation from she's her own person, I'm my own person, then we get to truly be your own person. Yeah, and when that own person is the one that's got the authenticity and the vulnerability that you want to have, mm-hmm. we did it. Yeah, yeah, and and I hope that's how that goes. It's really going to be a little bit of well, what's my role here? What's what are the expectations I have? 
of me? Does anybody have expectations of me? Does that matter? Is it my own expectation of me? Expectation of brother? It's just kind of walking through some of that to really, and I see you yeah, like no, taking the breath in. Because when we went to Seattle, we did the same thing. Exactly. You know, and like that. Exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. What's the hell yeah? Because it's like, I want to go more Green Beret with that. And I think that helps me do that. Right. In the sense of like, just seeing it, just walking through it and playing out scenarios and, and finding out why, what is my why? And mm. why am I there? What am I doing there? What is yeah. my role? What am I there to do? Right. Helps more so solidify why I'm actually there. Yeah, it's funny because I'll, I'll shift the Green Beret metaphor just for yeah, a second yeah. to, to go actors. Yeah. Some of the best actors are the ones that know their character inside and out. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if they know their lines. Put them in the situation and it's the cliched question. What's my motivation here? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And knowing the scenario. Mm-hmm. The root of all of it is knowing your character. And then you walk into any situation. You can improvise. You can know your lines. You don't have to know your lines, whatever. You know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I see you like yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Because yeah. it's like even, I'll throw that in my life, walking out the front door, as long as I know my character, like everything else would be okay. And, Absolutely. And I think I want to touch that on to last week where I said I'm scared to like go talk to people and shit. Yeah. Because I think that intertwines with that really really well yeah because then it's like i'm just being myself totally absolutely it's easy absolutely (laughs) the 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 green beret and then like those are a little tougher because there's usually it's situational right we think there's a situation and you go Mm -hmm. what makes the green beret side of the spectrum Mm -hmm. so enticing i think is not that he's got all this training and he can handle it Mm -hmm. there's a piece of that but it comes from i know my character so well yeah. I don't know what situation is going to be thrown. You're, you're not going <laughs> to run yeah. into a bear that's going to kill you, right? Yeah. And you've got like a tiny Bowie knife. Yeah, that's all you can do. No, I think you're going to get bears of different sorts. Yeah. Heartaches, people disappointed, people saying shit. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That idea of, okay, when I walk out my front door, if I know my character, my integrity, yeah. my authenticity and vulnerability, then I can walk out that door. I don't have to. Do anything other than be me. Yeah, it's that's, it's it's just like really relaxing to hear you say that. It's yeah, crazy. it's crazy. Something I'm gonna do just while I'm thinking about. It, I want to say it out loud so I actually do it. My dad, growing up, he made like a list of like his ten principles of life, of like what he stands by and and, and what it is. Hmm. Um, and he keeps it like in his like sock drawer. So every morning when he gets his socks, he looks at it. Okay, this wow. is what I stand for. Cool, done. Yeah. Gets his day started. Yeah, I haven't thought about that in years, hmm. and, and so I think I need something like that where I can like tangibly write it down, look at it. Okay, this is that. Let's go. Nice. Yeah. And I, and I, only, I only wanted to say that so like I think about it. I say, yeah. it, okay, I'm going to do it. Well, that, yeah, and that's going, what are my core principles? What do I believe and what do I, what's important to me? Mm-hmm. And I love this because it's the flip yeah. of others saying they're proud of me. When I said, well, are, are you proud of you? Yeah. Did you get to tell yourself that? I don't know. I don't really have a checklist to, to look at, to go, yeah, I'm doing well. Good job. Yeah. And if our only checklist is achievements and success and dollar amounts or well-received designs or whatever it is, right. I don't know, man. Fine. It's empty. Yeah. It's so empty. Right. Yeah. If we know, here are my core values. Here's, mm-hmm. Here are my 10 principles. Here's, fucking, you might come up with three. Fine. Three yeah. for now. Yeah. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling grounded, mm-hmm. using that word on purpose, mm-hmm. grounded in those things. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I am proud of myself. Yeah. I was doing good by my own standards. Yeah. So then if they judge, they have, that's their issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think I need to figure out my 10, my 3, my 2, my 5. You know, I, I need to sit down and like figure out what that looks like too. Yeah. So even thinking about it, it's like, I don't know. And it might be fluid. Yeah. It's not like you have to have your 10 laminated. You're like, <laughs> dude, do not get a tattooed <laughs> on your chest right now. Like my 10 principle. It's, it's ever-changing. Mm-hmm. But that idea that I am a work in progress mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. what are the core beliefs? What, what are my principles that I want to embody when I walk out the door? What's the mindfulness that's going to help ground me in this moment, in this present? Yeah. And, and I think I just need to like think about it. Going back to the stopping, smell the roses, hear the birds. Yeah. I see a stop, slow down, and think about it. Yeah. Hell yeah. I love that we just balanced. Yeah human doing and human being yeah because what you're what we're talking about is being motivated to do yeah and to get going because i've been 
a little stagnant. I haven't felt productive. I feel good when I'm being productive. I think I'm doing well. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. And what you're now describing is if I can kind of say, here's how I want to be, then as long as I'm doing that, I'm being Mm -hmm. the human I want. Yeah. Beautiful balance. I love it, man. Yeah. I'm killing it. (laughs) Absolutely killing it. And we are back with you. Here we are. Here we are now. Yay. Entertain us. Uh, I'll entertain you. Oh, please do. With all my excitement. Well, actually, (laughs) Drew's going to entertain us. You and Drew. So Drew, he was talking about how the last couple weeks he's been future and past tripping. And last week he was talking about how he was unmotivated for the past couple weeks. I think there's a lot of overlap on that. Yeah. If we're not doing much it's we can be wanting to get out of our heads and you said you had mentioned that it can be difficult to be present because sometimes we have feelings that we don't like or we don't want to feel right and if we can come back to those feelings then we can say we maybe i don't feel okay and also i am okay it's okay to not feel okay right yeah i think too that that idea of just well, two ideas came to me. That idea of future tripping, past tripping. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it is hard to be present. So we go, if it's hard to be present, we'll go to the past, we'll go to the future, we'll probably be critical. And it is really hard to kind of work yourself out of that. And I think the other idea for me is this session isn't so far off from the one we had last week. Right. And if you think about it, like, yeah, we're not giving you the highlights. We're giving you somebody during their their whole process of therapy. Right. So you get to see them week to week. And some weeks, especially working with clients that are managing or suffering from depression, it might sound very similar week to week. Uh-huh. In fact, we've we've had listeners say, how come, you know, it sounds the same for me week after week? Well, it, it could. And sometimes we're in the same place and we have trouble getting out of there. Right. And I think for him, you know, talking about, I think he called it his non-motivated mindset. You know, and I heard that, I was like, oh, Meredith's going to jump all over this. Right. But that that idea is sometimes it's okay to be not motivated, Yeah. you know, and he he wants to kick himself in gear so badly, right, and wants to get moving so badly. And I kind of look at, all right, but is there something here that we're not allowing ourselves to feel that we can dig into and see what that is? Yeah, that non-motivated mindset, of course, I jumped on that. And this is another thing I think we'll do an inside out on because once again, the type of therapy I do, we talk about, and you guys talked about the being and versus doing, we talk about the being mind versus doing mind and too much being versus too much doing and finding that middle path. And, you know, he's talking about this non-motivated mindset. Well, there's sometimes just being is okay. Right. And sometimes just doing's okay. But, you know, we got to find that balance. And I think that there's a big part of the session where after that, he talked about looking for reassurance in other people. And he brought up again, like from last session, if a lot of his motivation comes from wanting praise and validation from other people for what he's doing. Yeah. And that's talking about the idea of confidence versus self-confidence. Like that's not self-confidence. Yeah. I loved how you said that. I wrote that down. You're like self-confidence. I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. (laughs) I thought about self-confidence means confidence in ourself, but I never thought self-confidence means like we get it from ourselves. And you did mention, yes, it's not black and white. We can get confidence from other people. And Something that I, that I often, I talk about with my clients is when I first became a therapist and I worked at rehabs and I ran groups and I was pretty green, I just walked in those rooms and those groups, like, what's up motherfuckers? Like, (laughs) Hey guys, like I've done this for 20 years in my mind, you know, because they will fuck those, they can smell fear. They will eat you up. And I was just like, okay. And so over time I was not confident, but then I had to like sort of fake it. And then as I did that, the feedback, I, the feedback I got was great and, oh, you're good at this. And so that started to validate me and it helped me build confidence. Right. Right. So it wasn't that I needed other people 
to validate you or give you that, that boost of confidence. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think it all makes sense. I think if we cannot find internal happiness eventually or self-confidence in some area of our life, eventually it's going to be difficult. And it always makes sense to want external validation. If we didn't, it wouldn't be natural. There's an idea too of most of how we formulate, you know, our own thoughts, beliefs, or faith, whatever it might be, political beliefs, anything like that. It's an internal process. But often uh-huh. in order to strengthen that, to feel like it's right, we look for it other places externally. And the more we can see it externally validating what we kind of came up to internally, the better we feel. Right. I think what happens when that's unchecked is you see a lot of people proselytizing or evangelicals, like Uh needing to convert people to their way of thinking, right? whether it's their faith, their political belief, a stance, you know, they need to be right. And they need you to agree with them in order to validate their rightness. You can't just be right for yourself internally. Yeah. And it was crazy in session. Drew has this realization that his happiness, basically his happiness has relied on other people giving him this positive feedback and basically that his self-worth has been dependent on other people and that that was previously and now sort of talking about how do I know I did, you know, quote unquote good. And then he brings up the fucking five languages of love. Did he know about that before he came to you or do you guys talk about that? Oh yeah. No, he, I mean, that that's pop culture. Yeah. I've never heard the lay person talk about that, but you guys, if you don't know what it is, the five languages of love are basically ways that you know how you like to be shown love can be romantic or anything doesn't have to just be romantic and how knowing how other people like to be shown love. Right. And sometimes knowing that we're totally freaking off on that. Right. And, and that's, that's not the worst thing. It's in a relationship. If you go, oh, well, well, my, my love language is words of affirmation. And the other one goes, well, mine is physical touch. So it's not enough just to say things. I need touch, but I need to hear things, not just be touched. And by the way, to, to give credit where credit is due, Gary Chapman wrote that book, came up with those. Yep. No, it's super important. If I often have people whether, you know, I'm like, take this quiz with your partner or with your dad or with your whoever it is, because right. a lot of times the acceptance that, uh, oh, well, what I thought you were doing was, you know, you're trying to buy my love. My parents are trying to buy my love, but really they're just pretty emotionally stunted. So this is their way of expressing how much they love me. And, right. you know, radical acceptance, that's okay, because even though it may not feel great. I'm starting to understand that that's their way of doing it, you know? Right. Which actually, you know, we've talked about this, the brother's way of, you know, showing that he loved Drew or cared for Drew might have been, don't go out there and help mom or I won't talk to you again. Yeah. You talked about that. Yeah. Well, let's get to that in a minute. Don't go out of order. It confuses me. <laughs> well, all right. Jumping back to something you did hit too. And I thought you were going to pull this piece out when you were talking about how Drew often looks for other people for the validation or reassurance or confidence. And what he's understanding now more and more is that, oh, they're going to fail him. Yeah. You know, and he even said that. And I caught that. I don't know if I said it at the time, but it sort of fits with how he thinks that everybody in my life abandons me, leaves me, uh-huh, and they never uh-huh. come back. Like that's, they will fail me. Well, maybe they failed that one time, that one place. Maybe they truly did. And they're not like a good friend but or partner. But it, it can also be if you're looking for that reassurance and that confidence from the other person and you don't get it, then you're going to vilify them. Then they will be a failure to you. Rather than what you just said about like a parent that oh, them buying me gifts, that's their love language. So they're just saying, I love you in their own way. That's so interesting. The way I interpreted what he was saying was, if I look for reassurance in other people, they're going to fail because I'm setting them up for failure because that's not their job. Exactly. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh shit, that makes so much sense. 
support reassurance is cool, but if that's what I'm depending on in order to be happy and to have some validation and confidence, that's putting a huge amount of responsibility on them. Right. And, you know, for like what the fourth week in a row, I'm going to bring the matrix thing back up. Yeah. You know, you won't have to dodge bullets. It's if your confidence is truly self-confidence and comes from internally you, then other people, it's not, they don't fail you. They might have failed in some way. Right. But then it's not a huge failure. You don't experience the failure. You might be disappointed, but you're not dependent on them for your self-worth. Exactly. Yeah. His mom went to rehab. Uh huh. So that story was crazy about being here for a year, going home for Thanksgiving. And she had just recently gotten out of rehab and she was loaded again. Right. And that in and of itself is like, fuck, man, how she basically said, I'm going to kill myself or I'm not going to be here when you get back or whatever. And one of the first times he was able to say like, you know what, this isn't my fault. Just walked out, went back to LA where he has said five years before he would have canceled his flight and that he was always looking to his mom to tell him she was okay. So he could be okay. And finally, at this point, he sort of turned it around and found compassion for her, but wasn't depending on her to be okay. So he could be okay. Right. Yeah. I think there are two things that he's really going over and proving to himself is true. That's the first thing being, it's not his fault that he's not enough. Yeah. And that, that idea, and he said that a couple of times, are you doing this because I'm not enough? You know, is it my fault? And do I have to be here? And the second thing is, is that separation of realizing that's her thing, not his. He doesn't have to take that on and make it okay and make her okay in order to be okay. And that's the being okay with the discomfort. Totally. And I think then sort of talked about how that sort of same thing was with the mom and the girlfriend and the brother. And so crazy how you brought up about the brother. What was he trying to say by saying like, if you go, I'm never going to talk to you again. And he was saying, I think he was trying to protect me from, from what he might see if he goes out there. But regardless, the whole point was, and he's like, I didn't even think about that. And I didn't think about it. And you brought it up that his brother was only 13, 14 years old at the time. He didn't know what the fuck he was saying or doing. And you talked about the Harry Potter. Yeah. The pictures and snapshots. Yeah. And it has never occurred to me because when you talk, you guys talk about his big brother, I picture his brother now at this age. Right. And literally when I have the visual of the scenario, I picture his brother at this age saying that to him now. And I'm like, that's so fucked up that he would do that and say that and never, and not talk to him for so long. And the truth is like, that is not at all what happened. It was this kid. You said it, he could have said to you, I'll take away your blankie, right. sort of the same thing. Like, and then he was sort of like, oh yeah, maybe I don't need to hash this out or like rehash it. And I think what occurred to me in that moment was, I feel like it would be good to talk about it at some point potentially, but wouldn't have to be like a hashing it out. Like, how could you do that to me? It would be like a fuck man. Like we were so young when all that shit, you know, or whatever, if anything. Yeah. When I saw Bambi and the mom died, here's what happened to me. Totally. Yeah. Here's what I experienced. And I held it. I mean, and there are some things about that idea of snapshots and photos that are still going to be true. We're still essentially the same person underneath, yeah. we can yeah. just evolve, right? Like I think back, I still have a visual of you in seventh grade in room six, seven, six, the little seven. like single seat that had the the desk on it. And yeah. you, you had both your legs up, right? Oh my that's God. That's just I, how you sat. That's your, how I still your bob, sit. Your blonde bob cut, right? Braces. Awesome. Braces, right? You had an aura and attitude of both, I don't give a fuck and- socially awkward. And those two things, I, I see you nodding or like, yep, still there. Still the Both same, of those. totally. <laughs> right? Yep. Some of that is very much the same, but your awareness, your ability to communicate, yeah. your, I mean, your self-awareness is incredible. You know, so those things don't really uh, hinder you in a way that they might have back when you were 12 years old. 
Totally. But if I thought of you now as that 12-year-old girl, I'm doing a disservice to you know what you've done for the last 30 years of your life. Yeah. And who knows? I don't even think Drew knows what his brother's like now, but we definitely know that at 13, 14 years old, nobody has the insight to know what the fuck they're saying when your mom's doing shit like that. Yeah. And that's something where I, I wanted to make sure we weren't trying to read his mind or, you know, creating this narrative because brother is in the military now. And there's certainly a narrative we can shape without knowing brother at all of somebody very rigid follows the rules, very structured, very like, you can't go out there, or I won't talk to you. Yeah. And, and that's still how he is. But we don't know that. Because uh, again, what we kind of touched on, and, and you saw this or heard this episode was, yeah, he was, he was a 13 year old kid. Totally makes so much sense. And yeah, he was like, whoa, I didn't even think about that. And then it was so cool how he was like, yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm cool with going to the wedding. I'm right. cool showing up and how I am and I'm good enough. And, and then you guys touched on, and I also want my parents to see like how good I'm doing and how, how my interaction with my brother will be. And which, you know, you guys touched on is there's part of it. That's just like ego. And there's part of, of course that totally makes sense. There's nothing wrong with it. And then you pointed out, what if she's fucked up? Right. What if she's fucked up at the wedding? Damn, I did not even think about that. Oh yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna be a dry wedding. Right. <laughs> you know? And and that that he would be disappointed, but that his self-worth will not depend on that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he even said he wants to show up to the wedding now as me. Yeah, love it. And I'll take brother as he is. And that that might have been when I was like, Yeah, we have to take mom as she is. It's exactly it's really highlighting for him the more he strengthens himself as an individual then other things won't bother him as much if that separation's there. Brother is somebody totally. different than he is. Mother is somebody different than he is. He doesn't have to take accountability or responsibility for who and how they are. Yeah, exactly. Which is hard to do because it's still a reflection. It makes me think of playing at the football game where he's like, yeah, I got to play you know, where the Seattle Seahawks play. And we were playing there and my mom like fell down. You know, she was fall down drunk. Yeah. And that's still embarrassing. That can be embarrassing. Yeah, you said it. You still might be embarrassed. It is and it isn't a reflection of you. It seems like one and other people may sort of think that even though it actually isn't. Right. You know, other people will be like, damn, fucking looking so-and-so's mom. And, you know, a lot of times parents get judged like, well, you must have been a shitty parent. Look at your kids all fucked up. Like, meh. Yeah, and that's, I mean, <laughs> on the one hand, and the, the football example and the wedding would work for this too. If, if somebody said what she did for football, wow, your mom's fucked up. If we focus on the mom and how embarrassing it is, yeah, it's going to trigger something. We're going to get defensive. We're going to feel that, you know, we can also kind of go, yeah, that's kind of how it was growing up. It was really tough for me. Yeah. Yeah. And like compassion for her, like, yeah, it's fucking sad, man. Right. I think he's, he's getting pretty well it's funny that I'll say it this way, pretty well prepared to go to the wedding, but yeah. preparing not by virtue of like, and we brought this analogy back in that not, not being the, the boy scout with all the gear, but just having done enough so I can now be the green beret when I am there. Totally. Right? That, that I can just show up as me. But what we had to do is do the gear to kind of figure out who you are what that yeah. is like, right? And when you have that strength, so that much ego good work. strength. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love it, man. I, I love being able to see where he is in this now and where he was when he first mentioned this. And last and final note, as evidenced by him coming in and being like, yeah, I talked to my ex, haven't talked to her in like <laughs> month, month and a half, right. but whatever, don't even really need to talk about it today because like, meh, whatever. Right. And you're like, uh, okay, fucking rad. <laughs> right. Like I was like, bravo, Drew. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really getting to be in his own experience. I think he even said it, even though, you know, when he said before that at the beginning of the session, I've been future tripping and past tripping and he really wants to be present. I mean, he talked about wanting to smell the roses and hear the birds. Like, yeah, he's, he's doing that. He's, he's yep. walking that and it's, it's wonderful to see. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see as the wedding gets closer. 
yeah. what will come up and how it will go and what it will be. And if it, if it will be one of those things where, cause this happens sometimes with clients where we might forget something like that is happening and they'll come in and they'll go, yeah, a week was pretty cool. You know, I was at the wedding this weekend. They're like, what, what it happened? Right. Oh my gosh. How, what? Right. Totally. And for them at that point, it might be like, yeah, whatever. There's no big deal because we've already done all the work leading up to. Totally. And when is the fucking wedding? I need to know. I'm so excited. When's it happening? Tell it's me, tell me, happen. tell me. You are going to hear it right at the beginning of season two when we re-air. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's coming Coming up. soon. And, I well, know, I'm excited. Coming soon and all very pre-pandemic. So when we talk about being at a wedding, it was totally. a yes. wedding before this stuff hit. Yeah. So you could sneeze and cough all over everybody. And nobody cared. That's right. Everybody licked the wedding cake. That's right. And on that note. <laughs> and on that note. We will talk at you again next week. Yeah, we sure will. Keep coming back. It works if you. Works if you work it. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.